Before we share the Lord's Supper together this morning, I would like you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. This is part of what is known as the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter, the early part of Matthew chapter 5. It is also part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, which is found in chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. In verse 6, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, for they are the ones who shall be satisfied. If you're visiting with us this morning, all of 2017, we are looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does that word really mean in all of its fullness if taken in the context of the entire Bible? We just spent five messages looking at what it means to abide in Christ, that a disciple of Jesus longs to abide in Christ every second of every moment of every day. Now we are going to turn and have another kind of series within the larger series, and we are going to look at a disciple's emotions. What is the role of emotion, our emotions, in the Christian life? And our first point this morning is a disciple's emotions. God has created each person with deep-seated emotions. Folks, we are emotional beings, all of us. I don't care how stoic you may think you are, how quiet you may perceive yourself, every single one of us have been created by our Creator as emotional beings. And when we come to Christ, we don't lose our emotions. We want our emotions to be spirit-controlled and spirit-led. If you stop and think about it, the Bible is filled with emotions. In fact, I think we could safely say this morning that the Bible is a very emotional book. Think of just the Psalms. In the Psalms, the psalmists tell us to shout to the Lord, to praise the Lord, to thank the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord. At the same time, we see Psalms of lament, where the psalmist is sorrowful, weeping over his own sin and over the sins of the people of Israel. On a number of occasions, David says in the Psalms that my tears, my weeping have been my food day and night. And then there are what are known as imprecatory psalms, very emotional psalms where the psalmist is calling on God to punish and to judge his enemy and even calling down curses on his enemies. We think of the book of Genesis and the story of Joseph, a very emotion-filled story with ups and downs, and Joseph sold into slavery by his brothers, then eventually 
Years later, he is reconciled to them. And when he meets his brothers again, there are two different occasions in the book of Genesis where it says that Joseph has to leave the room. And he goes and he weeps and he weeps and he cries hard because he sees his brothers again whom he hasn't seen for so many years. We think of David. When David first brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, the Bible says that he danced before the Lord with all of his might. It is a scene of great rejoicing and great joy. We think of Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations. If you don't think the Bible is an emotional book, just read Lamentations. Jeremiah is weeping. He is so discouraged. He is so emotionally distraught because the Babylonians have ransacked the southern kingdom of Judah and especially Jerusalem. And he sees the ruins before him, his own people taken into captivity, and he just cries and cries for them. We go to the New Testament and we see Peter after he denies Jesus and the rooster crows. It says in that famous passage, that passage filled with emotional tension. It says that Peter went out and he wept bitterly and it was night. Do you sense the emotion, the sense of emotional drama? He goes out and he weeps bitterly and it's in the middle of the night. And then we think of Revelation chapter 5 where we have the 24 elders and we have people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and we have angels that are countless. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels where the Apostle John says you couldn't even count how many there are and all of them are praising the Lamb and they are saying worthy is the Lamb who was slain and there is this great scene of rejoicing and praise. And folks, I want to say to you this morning that God wants us to be Christ-exalting, Holy Spirit-filled emotional believers. He does. He wants us to express our emotions to Him. Now we know, don't we? We know very well that what God means for good, Satan means for evil. We always need to be mindful that if our emotions are not spirit-controlled and spirit-led, they can be sinful and they can be very dangerous. In our culture, we have this whole category called crimes of passion. And with uncontrolled emotions, people have murdered, they have raped, they have stolen, and they have abused other human beings. And even as Christians, even as Christians, if we, if our emotions are not spirit-controlled and spirit-led, our emotions can lead us to grave disobedience. Because of uncontrolled emotions, some Christians have cheated on their spouses. Because of uncontrolled emotions, Christians have indulged in pornography. Because of uncontrolled emotions, many of us struggle with lust, bitterness, anger, 
and envy. But the opposite is also true. When our emotions are, when they are spirit-controlled and spirit-led, our emotions can provide us with some of the most beautiful and satisfying times in our lives. Oh, the joy, the unspeakable joy that comes from being married to someone you love. The emotional joy that comes from having children and watching them grow and having grandchildren and having great-grandchildren. Or I think of the hunter, the fisherman, the hiker, the traveler, and they behold with great emotion the majestic creation of God. They see the, mute, the beautiful mountains they see the incredible sunrise and sunset. They see the still lake. They see the awe-inspiring uh, ocean. And it just fills our senses with great and beautiful and wonderful feelings of emotion. Next week, next Sunday morning, we are going to look at what I call the Siamese twins of the Christian life, desire and discipline. God wants us to have passionate desire, and he also wants us to have very structured discipline in our Christian life. And we must not stray one way or the other, or we will do great harm to our Christian life. But that is next Sunday morning. This morning... As we look forward to communion, I want us to focus on this one verse. And so our second point is hungering and thirsting. Jesus pronounces a blessing on those who hunger and thirst for God. The term righteousness here in Matthew 5, 6 refers to a hungering and thirsting for the one who is righteous, and that is God himself. I believe that verse 6 is the quest of the Christian life. God wants us to constantly hunger and thirst for him. I think of that classic passage in the Old Testament, which many of you have probably memorized, and if you haven't, I would strongly encourage you to do so, and that is Psalm 42 and verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when can I go and meet with God? That ought to be the cry of all of our hearts. My soul pants for you, for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Here is the question of your life. When? When can I go and meet with God? In the physical realm, if we are to survive, we must satisfy our hungering and our thirsting. Think about it this morning. How much of our earthly lives are spent satisfying our hunger and thirst? Well, in the spiritual realm, we are to hunger and thirst for the things of God. We are to hunger and and thirst for God himself. Without abiding fellowship with God, without abiding fellowship with God, we are restless and dissatisfied with life. We are. 
only God can fill the emotional, the great emotional needs that we have in our lives. We think of that famous quote from Augustine where he says, my life was created for you, O God, and, and my heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Oh, Lord, we were created for you, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. And if we don't find rest in him, we will be restless and we will be dissatisfied. There are times when we are disappointed with people because we expect them to fill what only God can fill. One of the things I share with young couples when I do premarital counseling with them is do not expect your spouse, do not expect your husband or your wife to meet expectations that only God can meet. Do not have unrealistic expectations for your spouse or it will do great damage to your marriage. Folks, there are longings within your soul, within your heart, within your life that only God himself can fill. In this passage, hunger and thirst speak of a starving, dehydrated person. A starving and dehydrated person has a single, all-consuming passion for food and water. That's what it means when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who hunger and thirst for God. Let me tell you, if you were truly starving, if you were truly dehydrated, nothing else in this life would have any attraction to you. Nothing else would get your attention except food and water. In the early part of the 1800s, one of the better-known Bible teachers at that time was a Plymouth Brethren pastor named John Darby. In John MacArthur's commentary, he quotes from John Darby on Matthew 5, 6. And Darby writes this, to be hungry is not enough. I must really be starving to know what is in God's heart toward me. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed on the husks. But when he was starving, he turned to his father. I love that last sentence. I want you to think about that this morning. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed on the husks. But when he was starving, he turned to his father. As I mentioned, righteousness in this verse means to live in complete harmony with God. You want to know God and to have your life be completely harmonious with God himself. To hunger and thirst for righteousness, to hunger and thirst for God is a longing. It is a longing to make him the center of my existence. It is a hungering and thirsting to live out who I really am in Christ. Do you remember? Do you remember back in February where we looked at Colossians chapter 1 and those seven radical, life-changing words, Christ in me, the hope of glory? 
to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to say, I want to know what it really means. I want to live out every day what it really means to have the resurrected and living Christ living in me and through me every single day. I want to know. I want to know what that means. Some synonymous phrases for Matthew 5, 6 would be, Blessed are those who long to be like Christ. Blessed are those who strive hard after holiness. Blessed are those who yearn for God. It is Paul's cry in Philippians 3.10. I want to know him, he says of Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. This whole idea of hungering and thirsting. William Hendrickson in his commentary says this. It is an intense desire, an earnest yearning, a relentless, a relentless pursuit. John MacArthur describes it this way, a strong desire, a driving pursuit, a passionate force inside the soul. As we go to communion this morning, I want you to think with me. We are spiritual beings with great spiritual needs that can only be filled by our Creator and Savior. Or let me put it another way. We are emotional beings with great emotional needs that can only be satisfied by our Creator and Savior. Folks, our part is to seek. God's part is to satisfy. Our part is to seek. God's part is to satisfy. As you take the bread and the cup this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. Have you lost the passion that you once had for God? Have you lost the emotional passion that you once had for God? As you sit here this morning, can you classify your desire for God as being like that of a starving and dehydrated man or woman? I fear for far too many Christians they are no longer hungry. They are no longer thirsty. The fire doesn't burn like it once did. Some have filled their lives with religious things, but they're no longer hotly pursuing God. Are you hotly, passionately pursuing Him today? For some Christians, they become passionately involved in, in programs and causes. Oh, they've got their social cause, their political cause, their particular ministry in the church, and they may be passionate about that, but are they passionate for God himself? Are you passionate for him? This beatitude, Matthew 5, 6, is an important ongoing evaluation of my Christian life and your Christian life, am I hungry and thirsting for God? It doesn't mean you won't have struggles. It doesn't mean you won't get discouraged. It doesn't mean you won't have times of doubt. But it does mean, it does mean that through it all, you will hunger. You will hunger and thirst for God and His righteousness. 
Blessed, Jesus said to his disciples, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they, for they shall be satisfied. At this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.